Well, you got the idea, right? Stand strong no matter what happens because we're in this series. And the first one was all about learning to sit. And then we learned to... And today we learned to... All right, let's do that again. First we... Then we... And today we... All right. We are going to stand against the forces of evil around us in the goodness and the grace and the strength of Jesus Christ. Watchman Nee, when he wrote his little book, Sit, Walk, Stand, studied the letter to the Ephesians. And he saw this pattern. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. We can rest in him. We start by trusting in what Jesus has done. And we don't have to be driven and frantic. We can take a day off. We can worship God one out of seven days and give it back and unwind and rest and sit. Then we walk. What do we do? We walk at work. We walk with our attitude. We walk in love. We walk in kindness. Our faith works in the day-to-day walk of life. You get to chapter 6, and the apostle says, stand strong, stand firm, stand against evil and the evil around us. And that's an important part of the Christian life as well, learning to stand. So let's look at that scripture from Ephesians chapter 6. If you have your Bible, you can look it up. We're going to put it on the screen. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your what? You can take your against the evil, against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, would you read the rest there with me? You may be able to... And after you've done everything to stand. What's next? Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. All right. And then I'll just read the rest here. In addition to this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all God's people. Four times, over and over and over, take your stand, stand your ground, Stand firm then, after you have done everything, stand. We stand against the trouble, the evil, the temptation that comes against us. Has anybody here ever been tempted? No, 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 let's do that one again. Uh, We should put the poll up on the screen, right? Has anybody here ever been tempted? That should be unanimous, right? Trouble comes, temptation comes. This, This passage is very honest about that. And when it comes, we need to be prepared. And here's how we get prepared. If you turn the bulletin, the program over to the back, 
There's a space there to write a few thoughts down. You might want to write some of these and come back, back to them. And the first principle of this passage is this. Evil is real. It's real. Even though we live in a world that's uncomfortable with that thought, it is the truth. Now, there's a difference between knowing that evil is real and obsessing about it, okay? There are people who can go either direction with that one. C.S. Lewis wrote this uh, wonderful little book called Screwtape Letters. You might have read it. Kind of makes your brain hurt because you have to think backwards. It's advice from a senior demon to a junior demon on how to tempt Christians or, or others to fall to never know God. And so in telling what a junior demon should do to distract us and tempt us and upset us, we learn. We learn where we're vulnerable. We learn that evil is real. But in his introduction, C.S. Lewis says, uh, there's two equal and opposite errors when it comes to the problem of evil. One is to deny it. The other is to obsess about it. And if you deny it, you'll be surprised. You will be overcome because you weren't anticipating the temptation that was going to come your way. If you obsess about it, you get into in a kind of like a spiritual paranoia. You, you may know somebody or have been in there in your own life where you just every disappointment, every trouble, every sickness is like some attack. And it's not necessarily the case. Evil is at work in a broken, fallen world. So in the middle of that, in the balance point of that, we say it's, it's real. It's not everything. God is greater Our faith is stronger in Christ. We win, but there is a battle to be fought. Evil is not just a joke, you know. We don't just uh, trot out a devil costume at Halloween and laugh at it. We understand that there are real forces, real powers at work. Dark ones. We've all seen them. When airplanes crash into skyscrapers in New York City. When a bomb goes off at the end of the Boston Marathon. When a lonely, troubled student shows up at school and starts shooting. When somebody, for no apparent reason, goes on a killing spree at a shopping mall or in a movie theater. It's real. But it isn't just out there real. All of us know the personal pull of evil. The lure of of sin. The, the draw of it. And Scripture describes this in three ways, three parts, three aspects. The world, the flesh, and the devil. The world is the sin-stained, self-centered system all around us that minimizes the things of God and tells us to just go along with the crowd. Anybody ever said, it's okay, everybody's doing it. Or you ever heard anyone say that? That's the world. Just because everyone thinks it or doesn't, does it, doesn't make it right. Oftentimes, it comes against truth and righteousness and true morality. Then there is the flesh, the fallen part of each of us that draws us away from God. That part that when the world tempts us to just go along says, that's a good idea. Now, that won't be a problem. That'll probably feel good. That's the flesh. And then there is the devil. This 
evil fallen angel who's become a, a leader of the dark forces, these powers that this scripture described that are against the things of God. Now, it's really frustrating as a pastor when I hear somebody uh, describing how the devil is kind of the equal and opposite of Jesus. That's just not true. The devil is a fallen angel. He's a created being. He's not all-knowing. He's not all-powerful. Jesus is God. Jesus is the conquering king. Jesus is the victor over sin and death. There is no God like our God. Jesus Christ is God. The devil is not. Are you with me? And so we don't obsess about the evil one. We know he exists. Many of us have sensed his tempting power, but Christ is our source, and in him we stand strong. The enemy is defeated. His doom was sealed on that good Friday in the afternoon when Jesus was right where the enemy thought he wanted him, on a cross, about to breathe his last. But in that moment, Jesus completed the saving plan of God, paying the price for the sins of the whole world and rising again on that first Easter morning in victory over sin and death and the grave. And our victory is in Christ. We recognize the evil one exists, but we do not obsess about him. We know how he works. The scripture says we're not ignorant of his devices. Uh, He is the accuser of the brethren. You know, isn't it interesting that when we're feeling tempted, going into things, they're sort of minimized. Not a problem. Go ahead. It won't be a big deal. You won't regret it. Just do it. And then as soon as we've done it, what does the voice of the enemy say? You slug. You creep. You moral idiot. God can never forgive you now. This is this accusing thing that happens and we need to take our stand in Christ against that voice. He is the accuser of the brothers. He is the father of all lies. He tells us we can't be forgiven. He tells us we can't change. When the truth of the matter is in Christ, we can be completely forgiven and we can be transformed so that we change, so that our nature and our character is changed by the grace and goodness of God. And so we stand against him. We recognize evil exists, but we do not obsess about the evil. We take our stand in Christ. I love the fact that as we look to Christ and stand in Christ, we overcome. We are more than conquerors, the Bible says. You know, my dad, who was not a terribly uh, deep theologian, was a really practical Christian. And he taught me a long time ago, he said, don't spend a lot of time thinking and talking about the devil. It just encourages him. Well, I, you know, my dad was pretty smart. The only time in my life that I have ever really felt something that I would describe as demonic was a time, a couple of different times when people were obsessing about the enemy and all of his power and all of his strength and things went pretty far south pretty fast. You know, the script people say, give the devil his due. Well, I say, don't give him any more. Don't give him any more than that. He has been defeated by Christ. We stand our ground in Christ and we prepare for the battle before we get there. That's the second principle. Not only do we know that evil exists, but we are prepared to fight the battle by clothing ourselves in Christ. 
When you read through the passage from Ephesians chapter 6, you know, sometimes I think this whole idea of the armor of God is both a, a positive and a negative. Sometimes it almost seems a little silly, you know, like kids with plastic swords. <laughs> and, and it may be of value to teach that. In fact, it probably is. But I want to remind us today it's a whole lot more than that. It's a whole lot more than just, just a, a little list of pieces of armor. It is, in fact, the protecting power of the Spirit of God in our lives. How do we prepare when evil is coming against us and is all around us, the world, the flesh, and the devil? How do you prepare to win that battle? Well, the first thing you do is to recognize your own vulnerability, your own weakness. Someone taught me a long time ago, uh, Glenn, you are most vulnerable when you are hurting, angry, lonely, or tired. You might want to write that down. It spells H-A-L-T, halt. Hurting, angry, lonely, tired. When you're in that condition, you need to be careful. You need to guard your heart and mind. You need to be extra vigilant that you're not in places or with people that are a bad influence. You need to be particularly careful that you don't put yourself in a place or expose yourself, whether it's to an image or to an idea or to, a, uh, to, a, to something you might eat or drink or consume. Something you need to fill that place inside you that feels small and weak and shameful. When you are vulnerable like that, you need to know it and guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. You need to put on your armor. You need to be smart. You need to get out of that dangerous and vulnerable place. You need to stand in Christ. And when you look at the list the Scripture gives us, it's a, it's a powerful list. You, you, you put on the belt of truth. How do you do that? Well, you you know the truth of God's Word. You regularly read God's Word. You feed and strengthen your life. You know, this isn't rocket science. There's no, not a lot new here, but you know how many people I know who have Bibles galore, but don't open them very often? It doesn't do any good sitting on the coffee table or the car dashboard. There's no, uh, it's not a magic uh, rabbit's foot. It is the living word of God. We need to feed our souls on the bread of life. And that's how we put on the belt of truth. Isn't it interesting that the protecting armor of God begins with our midsection, begins with our core, where we are strong. Then it talks about the breastplate of righteousness, covering the vital organs, trusting not in our own goodness, but in the goodness of Jesus who died on the cross and rose from the grave. And when we trust in him, puts by his spirit, his presence in our lives. I love the song that says, dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne on Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. So I build up my faith by reminding myself of the righteousness that's mine in Christ. Then you have the shoes of peace. Isn't that an interesting piece of armor? I was reading and studying about uh, the ancient 
battlefield and how people prepared for battle. And what you had on your feet was vitally important. Because if you didn't have a good foundation, if you couldn't walk on some pretty rough terrain, you're in trouble right there. The shoes of peace. How many times when we are hurting, angry, lonely, or tired, when we are troubled by life, when things are going against us, how many times do we get agitated and upset and start running around and milling around? The scripture talks about the peace of Christ that passes understanding that guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. I love that. It's a, it comes from a, a, a military uh, example of a guard that's posted that marches around the exterior and keeps the enemy out. That the peace of God marches around your heart and mind. And you settle in and settle down. Stop getting all frantic and fearful. I love that. The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of peace, the shield of faith, which quenches the darts. The shield of faith, simply trusting, building ourselves up in the Lord. One of the best things to build my faith is to remember times God has met me in the past and answered my prayers. If God has ever answered a prayer of yours in a really powerful and dramatic way, hold on to that. Remind yourself of that. This is how we take up the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, having a transformed mind, thinking God's thoughts after him. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. We, we know that when Jesus was tempted by the evil one, what did he do? He quoted Scripture back to him, right? Now, since we all know that sooner or later, somewhere, somehow, we're going to be tempted, it would be good to have Scripture in our minds they would come to mind in the right moment. One of those was, when I was a new believer, someone said to me, Glenn, you're going to need this verse. No temptation taken you, has taken you except what is common to man. And in the New International Version, it says, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Isn't that good? Say, "Mm -hmm. (laughs) mm-hmm. God will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. I love that. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. Anybody here ever see uh, Sesame Street? What is the word for the way out? Exit, right? When they teach the children the exit sign and what it means, they say, exit, the way out. Um. What is the exit on I-69 for Davison? What number? What is it? 140. (laughs) We need to get our act together. Uh, 145. Is that the one I heard the most? All right. Um, What is the exit number just before your favorite sin? God will provide a way out so that you will be able to bear it. Here's my prayer. Lord, when I'm in trouble, when I'm feeling vulnerable, and I sense the evil around me, show me the exit and help me to take it. Because you promised there would be one. You promised there would be one. And so that helps me. That 
encourages me to believe that, you know, I can, I can get up and get out of here. I can, I can close that book. I can turn off that computer. I can get out of this place. I can take a, a step I need to take right now, a smart step in the direction of freedom and victory and not go in the bad direction, in the harmful direction, in the evil direction because I have a Savior who loves me and who has defeated sin and death and who has promised me in his word that every time there is a way out, if only I will take it. I love that. I love that I serve the God who gives people the way out. The way out of what? The way out of greed, our love for stuff, our love for money, our love for newer and nicer and more. There's a multi-billion dollar industry out there telling you every day you need newer and nicer and more. And the answer is no. Would you say that with me? Do you need newer and nicer and more? No. <laughs> no. No, I don't. I don't need it. I can admire it without having to acquire it. Are you with me? And so, I mean, what, how much trouble is our society in because we've all bought it, right? And we bought newer, nicer, more, and better. And then we bought newer, nicer, more, and better. And newer, nicer, more, and better. And some of us have never figured out that it's just a car. You know, some of us are having a hard time figuring out it's just a big screen TV. After you've had a few of those and, you know, done that for a while, it's just stuff, right? Greed, lust, the, the lure of sensuality that is all over our culture and that every one of us needs to fight that battle and be smart about that one and not put ourselves in the place to lose that battle. Uh, I, did a, I did a series on the seven deadly sins. Uh, does anybody here know there's more than seven that are deadly? But, but why? So well, then why do they have the seven deadly sins? Because if you look back, you look through Scripture and you look through the history of the church, you discover that there are at least seven sins that are like the root of all the others. And the chief is pride. The first of the seven is pride, the root of all the others. I, I'm, I'm big enough, I'm strong enough, I'm good enough, I can do this by myself. And, and the, the, the crazy thing, the, the scary thing about pride is it's so, hard, it's so hard to see in yourself. And so the answer to that, of course, is, is humility that comes from trusting in Christ and not in self. Another one of, on that list is sloth. It's kind of, we don't talk about that anymore. You know, what it really means is kind of a, a malaise, a carelessness, a, a low ebb and energy of spirit that says, I don't need to pray that much. I mean, it's no big deal. I, I, don't need to, I don't need to memorize Scripture or read my Bible. I don't need to get my hands dirty and serve the Lord. It's no big deal. I'll do it later. And that is such a, such a dangerous, slippery slope. Whatever our besetting sin is, uh, Hebrews chapter 12 talks about laying aside the things that hinder us and easily entangle us it's interesting to me, there's two categories there, the things that hinder us and entangle us. So some things are trouble. They're not sin. They're just not smart. They're just dangerous. They're the things that consistently lead us into a place of, 
of sin. And so what does Scripture say? Be smart about that stuff. Ask God's help with that stuff. Give it to Him. Fight the battle. Let Him fight the battle. We claim the victory that is ours in Jesus Christ. When you have done all else, you stand. You are aware that evil exists, but you are also aware that Christ has conquered it. And you're also aware that in Christ, we can stand up against evil, whether it's in us or around us. We can have the strength of God to help us to see the way out and the grace of God to take it. And every time, if and when we fall and fail, we also have God's grace to forgive us. Did you know that we serve the God of second chances and third chances? He will forgive us. I don't, I don't think he's pleased when we keep falling and falling, but I don't think he gives up on us. Do you? He doesn't give up on us. He picks us back up again. He says, you know, don't stay there. Get up, get going. Walk with me. That's his word for us today. Stand in Christ. We're not the right man on our side. Our striving would be losing. It, the, the battle isn't ours, it's the Lord's. That's, that's a quote from Martin Luther's famous hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper, he amid the flood of mortal ills prevailing, for still our ancient foe, the enemy, doth seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate on earth is not his equal. We can't defeat him in our own strength. Did we in our own strength confide? Our striving would be losing. We're not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing. Dost ask who that may be? Who is it? Christ Jesus. It is he. <laughs> I love that. Our victory is in Christ. Lord Sabaoth, his name, from age to age the same, and he must win the battle. Lord Sabaoth. Anybody ever read the Bible, the Old Testament, it says the Lord of hosts? That's the word. The Lord of hosts, Lord Sabaoth, the one, the God of angel armies. Have you heard the song that says the God of angel armies is on my side? We're going to sing it. I'm going to ask the worship team to come because we are going to close our message today by entering into this powerful song of victory in Christ. We're not the right man on our side. We're not Jesus on our side. Our striving, our fighting would be losing, but because he is, because his name is the Lord of hosts, the Lord of angel armies, we have his strength. Will you pray with me? Lord God, I thank you so much that in Christ we win. And I pray that not only would that be a theoretical truth, but that would be a personal experience that you would give us strength and grace today and each day to stand against the world, the flesh, and the devil and to stand in the victory of Jesus Christ. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us and gave himself for us. Lord, if there's anyone here today who has not really surrendered their heart and life to you, I pray that in this moment, we would reach out 
through a simple prayer, Lord, forgive me all of my sins. Come and live in me and change me. Help me to live a good life, a proper life, a life of victory as you live in me and shine through me. God, I believe you hear and answer those prayers. For anyone who's kind of been wandering or wavering lately, would you bring us back? Would you ground us deeply? Help us to sit and walk and stand in Christ. Amen.